Matthew 16. I'm sure you remember the story. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, Who, who does the world think I am? What are, they, what are they saying out there? What's, this, what's the word on the street about me? And they said, oh, well, you know, some say John the Baptist reincarnated, you know, and maybe Elijah because you prophesied. About, you're, you're a good guy and godly person. Good answers, but not the right answer. And so Jesus says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter steps up to the plate and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says a really remarkable thing. He, he says, Peter, upon this confession that you stated, that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon that, I'm going to build my church. Now, you, you can't miss what he's saying here. A church is not a church because a bunch of folk have gotten together in a building with a steeple. A church is not a church because it might have stained glass. That which defines a church is not its liturgy. It's not its programming. It's not its webpage. It's not its... Uh, a doctrinal statement necessarily. What, what defines a church is purely and simply its Christology. What does it believe about Jesus? A lot of things masquerading churches. Even governments are saying they're 4013C. They're their church. Yeah, well, maybe not. Not in God's mind. A church is defined by Jesus as far as what you believe he is. And now what gets personal is what makes a Christian. It's not somebody who goes to church. It's not somebody who reads their Bible. It's not somebody who helps out. It's not someone who's nice and kind and tries to live by the Judeo-Christian ethic. But somebody who, who has come to grips with who Jesus is. They know it and they surrendered their life to it. That's what a Christian is. Now, Jesus does not want to be shy about his identity. And he's gone to great lengths to, for us to understand what that is. In the book of John, seven different times, Jesus says, I am whatever. And he's put in a, a predicate of some sort. He wants us to understand who he is and how that intersects with our, with our life. And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking each of these seven things one at a time. We're number five today, uh, believe it or, or not. And we are employing a, a memory technique to help us keep these straight, to understand them all. So when this series is all done, we will, we will nail these. You know, maybe we'll have like a contest in six months and whoever can get this gets the keys to Joe's Cadillac or something. So we're going we're gonna to see, we're going to see. Um, so what did you do right now? Those close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close them. All right, you're picturing, right? On the bottom, you got, bottom, you got, you got six huge loaves of bread. Three across the bottom, two in the middle, one on top. They're like a pyramid. But these are huge loaves of bread. And these are not normal loaves of bread. This is 35-day-old bread. This stuff is stale as who knows what. So stamped on the end of each loaf, 35, big 35. Six loaves of bread, 35 uh, days old bread. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life in John 6.35. Yes, yes. Now, coming out of that top loaf of bread, you've got a, a light pole. Now, at the top of the light pole is a stop sign that's been nailed to it or screwed in there. But it's been spray painted gray. You don't see the stop or the red. But what you do see is that each corner of the stop sign, there's a light bulb screwed in. Two at the top, two at the bottom, two on the right, two on the left. You see them there. These are 12 waters, okay? You're not going to get these light bulbs at Lowe's. These are 12 watt light bulbs. Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John. 
A12, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going with me because on top of the light pole there is a huge door. Now this door is like, it's, it's 10 foot tall. Like Goliath could walk through this thing without having to duck. 10 foot oak door, it's huge, it's huge. It's got nine doorknobs, three across the top, three across the middle, three across the bottom. All of them, all of them work in this huge 10 foot tall door with nine doorknobs. Jesus said, I am the door in John. Yes, all right, good. Now sitting right on top of the door is a little boy. He's a little shepherd boy. He looks like Opie of Andy Griffith. He's just a cute little kid. He's about 10 years old. But what's unique about this 10-year-old shepherd boy is he's got gargantuan feet. I mean, for for a little kid, he's got size 11, which is a big foot for for a 10-year-old kid. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John John 10, 11. Okay, getting a little bit quiet on me there. All right, be thinking though because the creativity is really going to have to wrap up on this one, okay? But be thinking, be picturing this in your mind. On top of the shepherd boy's head, he's got a strong neck because on top of his head is a cave. Now, this is, it's like a tomb. It's like the tomb Jesus was in. And, and you know that because there's this big old stone that was in front of it, but it's rolled away. Now, this is a major stone. This is an 11-ton stone. I mean, this thing is huge. It's a huge 11-ton stone is rolled away, and walking out of the cave is a mummy. Now, this isn't like it's a zombie mummy, you know, the, 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 the undead thing. This is living. And you know it's living because the zombie is breathing because he's got an oxygen tank hooked to his back. Kind of like something a diver would wear. It's not a huge oxygen tank, 25-pound oxygen tank this mummy has. You know, he's got, he's got this 11-ton stone rolled away. The mummy's standing there coming out. He's breathing with this 25-pound oxygen tank. In John eleven twenty-five, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, you can open your eyes. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now we hear that. Maybe we've heard it before growing up in Sunday school and we're saying, okay, good, good. That's, that's okay, good. I'm, I can say that. I know where it's at. I can picture the, got it. But what does that mean for my life? You know, this past week this was driven home for me a little bit further. Uh, I've got a nephew, uh, Jeff, graduated from University of Tennessee in uh, nursing uh, a couple years ago. Uh, He's now in seminary. His goal is to take the gospel to a closed mission field, able to get in because of his medical stuff. Well, a kid that he graduated with uh, this past week, uh, David Santucci, you can uh, Google his name, was uh, walking down the street in Memphis. A robbery went wrong, and the assailant just shot him in the chest, killed him. So David is 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 dead. Twenty five year old kid. Can you imagine, moms? Uh, you've raised this guy. He's a, I'm told solid, great Christian kid. Very generous, sweet, kind, nice guy. Just a nice Christian kid. At this point, and you're wondering, where were you, God, when that happened? Were you, were you sleeping on us with that one? When I was in college, one of the, the sweet girls on my sister floor, Carrie, I was a very shy girl until you got to know her, then very bubbly and just, just fun. But we would go out to her, actually, first alliance person I've ever met. But she seemed normal, so okay. Uh, we would go out to her house on the weekend because she was a suburb of Chicago she lived, and we'd go out for bonfires. Uh, she got done with Moody. Uh, everyone kind of moved in different directions. She went to Nyack, got her, her degree in elementary education. Shortly after that, she was diagnosed with leukemia. Shortly after that, she died. She's dead. And you say, God, where, where, where are you? I mean, well, why? Something like that. And then when you have 
huge scale tragedies, you got a 9-11 or you've got a tsunami, the media, of course, is, is asking us huge, where's your God? Where is he? Oh, is he up in heaven? He can't do anything about this? He's just crying because he can't. He's, he's inapt. Is that the God you want me to worship? Or maybe your God is the God who can. He's got the power, but he chooses not to. He stands up there and he folds his hand. He watches children and, and people killed. Is that your God? Yes. We're kind of without words, aren't we? This is a tough, tough issue. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that statement bears on that question in a major, major way. Now, he didn't say that in a vacuum. And so for us to understand that statement, we need to understand the context in which he said it. So if you've got your Bibles, I trust you do. Will you turn with me to John chapter 11? John chapter 11. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. You can just take it with you. That's fine. It's not a big deal. John chapter 11. I'm going to read uh, here uh, a portion. You can follow along with me in in your Bible. Then we're going to come back and we're going to make some observations, okay? So I don't have this on screen. If you don't have a Bible, just kind of listen. John chapter 11, beginning verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair. By the way, we're going to come back to that one. That's going to come back at us later on. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, and he didn't say it to them because he's like a day away. So he's talking to the messenger. He's talking to his disciples that he's hanging with. He's on the other side of the Jordan River. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days more. Then he and his disciples get into a discussion because Jesus is going to want to go back. But back in Jerusalem, Bethany's a suburb of it, there's a contract out for Jesus. And so his, his apostles are saying, whoa, 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 we don't need to go back. Uh, verse 11, though it says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I mean, he'll wake up on his own. You don't worry about it. Uh, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. But let us go, go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to them, and the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is just assuming they're all going to be killed there. And uh, his expectations would almost be completely met. Verse 17, it says, On his arrival, he's in Bethany now, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. It's the same thing Peter said. It's actually the same place John 4, the woman at the the well, came to. 
And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Now, you've got the big picture here. Mary and Martha sent a note to Jesus. He's a day away. You better hurry up and come back because Lazarus is, 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 is your friend. The guy you love is, is really sick. He needs you back. Jesus delays intentionally. Well, Lazarus dies and Jesus finally does come back. But he's a, you know, a, a, dime late and a dollar, dollar late and a day short here. And it, they're saying, Jesus, you, you blew it. We asked you to come. You didn't come. What's the problem? And Jesus has this exchange with both of, both of them. Okay, you got the picture. Now let's go back and, and just make some observations. Verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This Mary, was, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, check this out. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. If you have a New International Version 1984, you've got a yet real big there. Problem is, the word yet isn't there. The word that is there is the word therefore. That's why in the New, the new, new International Version or the English Standard Version, they replaced it with so. He loved them, so he stayed. Now, see this for a second. He loved them, therefore, that's why he waited. That's why, this, is, this is huge, because sometimes we think that we've got to ask, and if there's a delay, if it doesn't happen according to our timetable, that he doesn't love us, right? We say this all the time. God must have really loved me. He spared my life. As if, you know, he didn't spare your life, that means he didn't love you. But then we, we have this mindset that if he shows up on our timetable, that demonstrates his love. But we cannot determine his love based on externals. You just can't. And as a parent, you know that. You, your, your kid is, is playing. He's having the time of his life. He's got his Legos going. And he's just, he's, he's just having a blast. And you come to him and you say, Johnny, it's time for your nap. Oh, and Johnny's life just crashes. He thinks, man, oh man, I'm having the time of my life here. Life is going so well. It's just great here. And you're making me go to bed. Yes, you've got to go to bed. And he's going to bed. And he, you know what he's thinking? He's not just putting us on a show here. He's really thinking that you are ruining his life. That's what he's really thinking. Because he knows what's best. He needs to be. He was having fun. And you've ruined it. Now, as a parent, you know something Johnny doesn't know. You know there's going to be a late night. And you know Johnny's going to need his nap because if he doesn't, he's going to be a mess. He's not going to be able to enjoy it. He's going to ruin it for everybody. And so you know he needs this, even though he's thinking you've ruined his life. Or maybe uh, your child comes to you and stomach is growling. They say, you know what, I need a snack. I, I, I really need one now. I'm dying of hunger. And you say, 
you know as a parent something that the child doesn't know or at least able to understand completely is that is that dinner will be in 30 minutes and if I give you a snack now it's gonna mess up your appetite you're not gonna starve to death for 30 minutes you can wait that a parent's love causes a delay you know if you've got a teenager at home and they want to go out and do some video games with their friend and you say hang on hang on you need to do your chores now is your child thinking oh thank you mom and dad for caring for me so much to try to instill a character in my no they're not thinking what are they thinking they're sure they ruined my life you're trying to destroy it. you just don't want me to have fun and, but the parent knows something the kid doesn't know right the parent knows that down the road understanding of, of responsibility and discipline and a solid work ethic is going to aid this child so much more than an extra two hours of video games now the kid's going to get there but he's just going to have a delay the parent's love causes the delay is it possible is it just possible that the way it works between parents and children is the way it works between God and us? Is it just possible that maybe God knows something we don't know? And God knows a little bit more than, than we know. And we're saying, this is our timetable. It's got to happen. We're coming to him kind of like children. We know this is what's got to happen. And God says, because of his love for us. It says, because of his love. There's a delay. And we don't buy it. We don't understand it. We're just like the kids. We don't get it. We're not there. We cannot judge his love for us based on what tragedy may or may not come into it. You just can't do that. That's so anti-biblical. Genesis 36. I love this because Genesis 36 is a genealogy, really, about Esau. And, and Esau, you read this genealogy, he has princes coming from him. He's got all kinds of wealth. He's got a huge group of people that, that bear his name. He gets his own piece of land, Edom. I mean, he's, he's got his picture on the, the cover of magazines. You know that the story that Esau is a very athletic type. And so he's, he's, got, he's doing the GQ thing. He is on Sports Illustrated. He's the man. Now his brother, Jacob, and Jacob at this time is still in a tent doesn't have half the stuff that Esau's got yet. TBN would want Esau to interview. Christianity, we love the Esau group. But yet, Jesus, our God says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. You can't judge God's love, whether he loves me or not, based on external stuff. You just can't, can't, can't go there. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's very not right. And if, and if you go through, okay, you say, well, why did he wait? Verse 17, it says, on, on his arrival, and we'll never know all the reasons, but this is, this is intriguing to me. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Jewish thought was, according to their Mishnah, that the spirit of an individual, and this is, Jesus is not buying this, but this was Jewish thought, that a spirit of an individual hovered near the body for three days, seeking an opportunity to re-inhabit the body. And you can imagine before modern science, before they were able to test brain waves and that sort of thing, perhaps this may have happened a time or two, where they looked at the person and said, oh, he's dead. And then a day later, a guy wakes up. Like, whoa, he's not dead anymore. Well, what do they think? This is what they're, they're thinking. So until the body starts to decompose, they said the spirit kind of stayed. But after three days, the spirit would be gone. Jesus waited till he was in the grave four days. He wanted the folk to understand this was not a resuscitation. This was a resurrection. 
His love delays for purposes sometimes we don't, we don't understand. I wish I, could, I wish I knew for myself, especially to tell everybody else for their own issues, why he delays, I don't know. I know scripture says that he knows. And because he loves, he delays. He delays. Now, just, let me, just a parenthetical comment. If, in fact, any Martha-type folk are out there, notice what Martha does here. This is interesting. Verse 18, it says, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. John's really trying to make a contrast here. He wants you and I to understand that when Jesus was getting close, Martha went out, but Mary, yeah, she wasn't there. She, she, she didn't want to go out. Well, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she adds, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, I don't have this one right here on the screen, but Mary's going to go talk to Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, look over at 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was in Psalms, she fell at his feet and she said, similar to Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she doesn't add that other part. In other words, Martha is the one that demonstrates substantial faith here over Mary. You remember the the story in Luke, is it 10? Where you had Martha and Mary, and Mary is hanging out at Jesus' feet, and she's listening, and she's she's spending time with Jesus, and she was reflecting, and Martha's kind of freaking out in the kitchen. You remember remember this story? And Martha comes to Jesus, Mike, Mary, come with me. And Jesus rebukes Martha. Well, here, it's Martha that comes to Jesus. Mary's off. So just, that's just an encouragement for any of you Martha-type personality folk. Please know the scripture does not paint you as always the bad guy. Um, verse 21. Uh, we're going to actually skip down to 28. Because Jesus' love delays sometimes. We need to understand that. But also Jesus loves, therefore Jesus weeps. In verse 28, it says, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary's got a question for Jesus. Comes to him first thing. She's, Lord, didn't did you get the, the note? I, I mean, where were you, Lord? I mean, you, you know me. I would have done anything for you. If I had the power, I would give it for you. But you got the power. And I got a situation. And it's not selfish, but you're not going to use it to help me. I mean, where were you, Lord? And it's wild when you think about Mary, because Mary was not a shallow Christian. Mary was very intelligent. She was a a very committed, devoted, in love with Jesus person. And yet she comes with a question. It's a question that most of us ask when we face tragedy. Lord, where were you? Where were you when we were in the hospital and my, my, my child was diagnosed with diabetes? Where, where were you? Did, you have to, did we have to go down that road? 
Where were you, Lord, when my spouse went AWOL on me and just walked? Why, why, where, where were you? You know, I'm not perfect, but where were you when my business went under? I'm trying. Where were you when the bosses got together and decided who needed to be cut? I mean, you know, I'm trying to be a witness for you here. I mean, couldn't you have just shown up? You know, I prayed so hard that you would just show up. Why, why weren't you here? Why weren't you here when my kids started hanging with those kids who were dealing with the drugs? Or why weren't you here when, my, when those terrible folks started hanging with, with my child and her? Where were you at? I mean, I would have done anything to protect. Can't I trust you? Where were you? It's just a question she asks. It's a question that, that we ask that's right there. And think, what kind, of, what kind of answer could Jesus have given her that would satisfy? What could Jesus have said? Oh, Mary, you, you need to understand, Mary, that theologically speaking, in this dispensation of prevenient grace, you know, the pneumatological manifestations are, are working in this cosmos, certainly. However, secondary causes require the divine decree to be accomplished, and I.K.A., the, the free will and evil must have their say in, in uh, human pre-redemptive history. Duh. You know, you, 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 uh, Mary would say, oh, got it, yeah, 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 so that helps a lot. It wouldn't help a lot. Or if Jesus would have said stuff like we say, Mary, listen, you know, you just need to be grateful. I mean, it could have taken Martha as well, you know. Then you've been left all alone. And what if it would have taken, Mary, would have taken Martha and Lazarus and all your riches, Mary? And then what if it would have been a plague that knocked out the whole village? You, know, you just need to be a little more grateful. We say this kind of thing, don't we? You know, well, at least you got... Uh, a, a, your eyes as well. You know, well, at least that hasn't been taken from you. At least you got that. At least that, Would that have helped her? That, you think that would have fixed Mary? How about Mary? Listen to me. I was over in Perea. I was pouring into this. I was doing spiritual things, Mary. I was working with... You don't know, These guys are going to take over the whole church in just a few days. I have to be... Just, do you think my world rotates around your little issues, Mary? You know, no, that would have fixed her, wouldn't it? Yeah, that, that would have done it. That would have been a good one. Or even how about this one? And this one gets a little bit closer to reality, but Mary, people are going to come to know me by this, so it's okay. Oh, in that case, uh, couldn't we have done something else to get people to know you? Did we have to resort to this one? Can we? What, what could Jesus have said that would have fixed it? Sometimes when we're hit, when we're twisted by tragedy, Words are just not going to, they're not going to cut it. They're not there. They're not going to work. But yet we try to give the empty. Jesus knew words right now were not going to work. That was not, so how did Jesus respond? This is fascinating to me. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You know, it's interesting that we're deeply moved every single time that appears in the New Testament. It's other than right here. It's always translated outraged. Outraged. This is the only place the translators decided to soften it and make it a more of an emotional kind of thing, more of a uh, sentimental sort of deal. I don't think so. Jesus is angry. You ever find somebody who had tragedy strike? Where they just said, did they not also have outbursts of, of anger? Certainly. This is, now, you have to ask yourself, too, with this. Why is Jesus crying? Why is he angry? Why is he upset? Now, when it says he wept, keep in mind the, the, the picture here, the, the inferences, the, the culture. We think sometimes standing strong and just one tear. Now, the, 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 the culture is to wail. It was, it was, it was, it was bawling. 
And whatever manifestations Jesus gave here, they were such that the people looked at him and said, my, he really loved him. So I'm picturing here Jesus is falling apart. Jesus is angry. He's not pretending to be angry. He's angry. Jesus is falling. And again, you ask yourself, why? He's going to raise him in a couple minutes. He knows that. He's going to turn it into a party. You think he'd say, oh, hang on. Watch this. Watch this. But he doesn't. He cries. Why is he crying? This is a show. I think that as he looks around, he sees the funeral. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Hebrew funerals, what they needed to do is they were supposed to hire two flute players and a wailing woman uh, at a funeral. This was, this was protocol. This is what you hired, professional mourners to help you mourn. This is what ex- was expected. This is what you did. At least two flute players and a wailing woman. Now, what we know from Mary, Martha, and Lazarus these guys, had some, these guys had some means. I mean, these were the, the Gates family of this era. In this next chapter, Mary is going to break open a vial of, of perfume, a year's wages, and pour them on Jesus' feet. They're not even going to blink about this. These guys, had, these guys had some resources. So who knows how many flute players? They had a whole orchestra going on. How many wailing women? They had, they had eight-part harmony wailing women going on. They just had this major parade of wailers, and Jesus is there looking at all this. And he remembered when he created the world and how Job 38 says the morning stars sang. He says, that's what singing was created to do. Celebrate. Not for this. And he watched tears right now people's face. He said, tears of joy. This is not why tears were created. And he watched the people's hearts breaking. They were never supposed to be breaking. This is not what was supposed to happen. And maybe he's remembering way back when he's in the garden with Adam. He's saying, Adam, listen, Adam, please, do not eat the fruit. I'm just telling you, because the day you eat it, you will surely die. So trust you don't want to mess with death. It's bad. Don't deal with it. And here he is. And he's knowing this is not what it, And he's going to raise Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he knows Lazarus is going to have to die again. And Mary and Martha's going to die. And maybe he's conscious of the fact that the way he's going to solve this whole deal, in a couple of weeks, he's going to die. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. He knew there were no words that was going to, would fix this. There, uh, when I was uh, at my first church, my senior pastor and I were in his office uh, about a week earlier, three days or so, the uh, music director ran, a, ran away with the organist, literally. She, they had a, an affair. Uh, they were caught. It was a big mess in the church, as you can imagine. Um, the senior and this choir uh, uh, music director guy were really close. They were real good friends. And so we're sitting in, the, in his office, and uh, uh, Steve, my senior pastor, had handled it perfectly, I, I think, as well as you, anyone could handle such a thing. He jumped to the cage. He t- took care of it. But we're in his office, and suddenly, suddenly it was like everything kind of caved in on him. And as he started thinking about this and we're talking, he started banging on a chair. It was getting harder and harder. And then he started to scream. He screamed, damn it. Damn sin. It is destroying our church. It's destroying my friend. It's destroying relationships. Damn it to hell. That's where it should be. Sin should not be part of life. But I'm thinking, if ever there is righteous anger, you know what? That's it. That is it. Not for personal stuff for me because I didn't get what I needed, but because sin was destroyed. And I just wonder if Jesus here has got that same sort of deal going on. Oh, 
Slate Magazine did a survey uh, a couple years back. It just asked its, its readers to respond to questions on grief. 10,000 people responded to this. And Slate, after they analyzed all the data, they came to a couple of conclusions that they brought up. And one of them, they said that um, it seems that people who are going through grief feel very alone. They feel that it's not appropriate for them to share it. Their grief makes people feel uncomfortable. So they have to tone it down. They can't really grieve. They can't really grieve. Um, I remember when I was going through my, my brain thing. And uh, the, the, yeah, there was a slow recovery. But, but on the front end, it was, everything kind of crashed in a hurry. And uh, I remember I was lost an awful lot of weight. And it didn't look really good. No one knew what was going on. But it really didn't look good. I'm laying on a, on, on a pallet uh, in my living room and Dan walks in. Dan is a good friend of mine from church in Cincinnati, a stockbroker, very uh, professional guy and uh, I can't even get up. And so he, he reaches down and he gives me a hug and he just stands there and big tears are rolling down Dan's face. Nothing. Didn't say a word. Uh, a couple days later I've been able to put me in a chair because I'm still on the payroll so I'm supposed to be working, right? I'm feeling like it. And uh, I was supervising the youth, so I had a couple of the youth leaders over, and I was sharing with them, you know, what they should be thinking about and doing. And after they were done, um, Ethel, uh, a pretty girl, came up and just stood before me. We talked a little bit, and then she just stopped. Big tears rolling down her face. And you, you know, as sad as that is even to tell, for me, that was a, a, a healing thing. Because they had no words that could fix it. I mean, what could they say that would fix it? But I didn't feel alone at that point. They entered in to my pain and my grief with me. They really, they really did. I know they felt it. Now, I don't know how this works for us with Jesus as far as real tears coming down his face today. But I do know this. He knows exactly the pain. And he feels it more so, maybe even than you do, because he's God. He feels it completely, fully. He enters into it completely. You've got to know, even though his love delays sometimes, he's not afar off, not thinking about it. He's there. He cares. He understands. Perhaps, as the body of Christ, when we come across each other grieving, we want to say something. We, we want to fix it. We can't fix it. We just can't fix it. Maybe we should just quit trying. Just enter into their grief with them and just cry, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, Jesus doesn't come first with the theology lesson, but we've got to know as believers, it can't just stop there. It can't stop there. We're no better than the rest of the world. And so Jesus does use this very devastating situation to, to not just cry. He doesn't rebuke Mary and Martha over their tears. He knows that's healthy, but he uses this time to point to himself. Fascinating. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, Jesus was not talking here about physical death. I mean, he knows. He was the, the, the one uh, that, that told Adam that the day you sin, you will certainly, surely, you can't get away from it. You will die. He knows the truth of Romans 5.12, even though it hasn't been penned yet. He knows that by his one man's sin entered the world, and death by sin, 
And so death passed upon all mankind, for all have sinned. He knows that the truth of Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man to die. He knows that, yeah, he's going to raise Lazarus. Lazarus is going to die again. Matter of fact, it's probably kind of a sad thing for Lazarus. Can you imagine he's up in heaven? He's having a blast. What? You're calling me back? No, I don't want to go back. I'm going to have to die again. Are you serious? He knows Mary and Martha are going to have to die. He knows everyone's going to have to die. He knows that this is going to cost him more than tears. It's going to cost, he's going to have to shed his blood to fix this situation. And so he looks at Martha, really, really key. He says, Martha, uh, grief is fine. It's good. It's good. But you have to realize there is life beyond. Death is not the final chapter. It doesn't shut it down. It's not the end. It's just the prologue. Anyone who dies and they believe in me, they're going to keep living. I mean, Martha, you've got to keep this in mind that only through me, I am the resurrection and life. By the way, resurrection requires a death. So Jesus wasn't thinking the physical thing. But he says, he says you will, you will, when you close your eyes here, you will open them to find more energy than you've ever had. You're going to open your, your, your eyes and your mind is going to be so clear and it's not going to be cluttered with all the stuff that you had down here. You're going to really be able to think maybe for the first time and you're going to be able to see things that you could never see before in colors and you're going to be able to sense stuff and smell things. And it's, it's going to be incredible. Martha, do you believe this? You know, I was preaching at a, a convalescent home a, a while back and uh, most of the folk in this home, some of them were... were, were, were uh, Mentally challenged, but most of them were, uh, they had some kind of muscular, uh, chronic degenerative disease. They couldn't stand up, they, were, uh, they couldn't, uh, many of them couldn't talk. One guy, a friend of Marcus, uh, he, had a, he had his master's in physics, sharp, sharp guy, but he was just slumped in the wheelchair and he had a light that he could, he had a board in front of his wheelchair that he could kind of move this uh, and spell out what he wanted to say. So I'm, I'm preaching to these guys. We had a chapel service and I'm telling them that you know, when, you get to, when you get to heaven one day, y'all, you, you have to stop at the gate and you're going to have to leave all the wheelchairs and walkers and canes and all this stuff is going to be left behind and you get to walk in on your own accord. And, and these folk suddenly started um, tapping their things on the ground or frailing about in their chairs and grunting and it actually scared me at first. I thought, oh my goodness, what have, what have I done? What's going on? And then I realized, it's their way of saying amen. <laughs> they, they were excited. And so when I realized that they were excited, and I, I'm looking at them thinking, of course they would be excited about this. I get me more excited. So I'm preaching more. And they were, they were, they were frailing more. And, and it was quite the episode. Uh, but it was a, a deal that I'll never forget because it was a time where I believe God really moved in the hearts of those folk. They needed to know Christ is the resurrection and the life. They needed to know that down here wasn't, this was not the final deal in any way, shape, or form. It, it just wasn't. Um, D.L. Moody once said, said, you'll read in the paper one day that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? For at that time I'll be more alive than I've ever been before. Do you believe it? Now, this is the question that Jesus left with Martha. This is the question that he leaves with us. Do you believe this? Do you, believe? you know, you would think, because in a little short distance, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, that everybody watching that would go, well, yeah. But if you read this, they don't all say that. Some do. 
Some of them run and tell the Sanhedrin, hey, Jesus is working miracles. And then it says that the Sanhedrin got together and they didn't deny the miracle. They knew he rose from the dead, but they didn't believe it. Um, there's a parable in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus where uh, the rich man is talking to Abraham, remember this, in hell? And says, Father Abraham, I've got five brothers at home. Please send Lazarus back. And Abraham says, no, 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 they got Moses and the prophets. They got the scripture. And the rich man says, oh, no, no, no. See, thou believe if someone rises from the dead. And Abraham says, no. They don't believe Moses. and They're not going to believe someone rising from the dead. Here, when the real Lazarus rises from the dead, there are folk who don't believe. Two weeks when Jesus rises from the dead, the, the Sanhedrin, they know he did. They were bribing the guards to lie about it. The vast majority did not believe. So the question is, is yours. Do you believe this? Or do you say, nah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not there. I know it's a work the Spirit does in your heart, but you have to respond. Martha had to respond, and she put two and two together here. And she said, okay, anybody who has the afterlife innate in them, anyone who is, not just they give resurrection life, they are the resurrection and life. That's what, that's what comes with those following them. That person's the Messiah. That person is the Son of God. Do you believe this? Maybe you've been thinking, Christian, man, I go to church. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. Do you believe this about Jesus? Will you take a moment to pray with me? I want to give you that opportunity. If you've never come to a place in your life where you've recognized that, where you've surrendered your life to him, most certainly right now in your own heart, if he was to come to you, you would say, yes, Lord, I do believe. I believe that you were going to, two weeks from this passage, you were going to die in my place for me and rise again. I believe. And I want to repent and give my life to you. Perhaps you're here this morning and uh, tragedy has struck your life in one way or another. And the question you've been asking Jesus, maybe even in the back of your mind, not wanting to bring it to the forefront because you weren't sure that was right, was, Lord, where were you? Lord, why didn't you come through for me? Please know that his love orchestrates those delays. I don't understand them. I don't understand them for me, more or less you. But his love orchestrates those delays. He feels, he understands, he weeps. But in the midst of that, he is the resurrection and the life. This world is not all we've got. 